This podcast episode is powered by Afropods, the world's number one podcasting platform for African stories. Hello everybody and welcome to the Kenyan Wall Street Podcast, a podcast where we engage with thought leaders in the East African market and beyond. And as usual, I am your host, Prince Moraguri. I am the Chief Economist at eConsult Africa, and I also serve as the Resident Economist here at the Kenyan Wall Street. So, earlier this week, we kicked off a very interesting discussion on Islamic finance. We started this brand new podcast series where we aim to teach you all the important stuff you need to know about this interesting subject of Islamic finance. And the session was facilitated by Mr. Ali Mohammed, who is an expert in the subject of Islamic finance with over 20 years experience in banking, both conventional banking and Islamic finance and Islamic banking. And today, we're going to get into the second episode, and we're going to pick up that discussion from where we left and delve deeper into the interesting subject of the myths associated with Islamic finance. Mr. Ali, Welcome back to the show. We are very happy to have you back. Thank you, uh, Prince. Uh, it's always good to, to be back and uh, enlighten people about Islamic finance. And I thank you and, uh, and Kenya Wall Street. You're absolutely welcome. You know, our audience is very happy with this new series. They're really excited for today's episode. Thank you. Even me, I'm more excited. And I look forward to the future podcast to come. We've started the Ramadan on a good note. Yeah, definitely. This is the time that this uh, topic is very much needed during the Ramadan period. Last time, we started with the introduction with what makes Islamic finance what it is. And we went further to debunk what makes Islamic finance different from conventional finance, which in a nutshell we saw was basically the underlying principle of compounding. Okay. Now, today, we're going to take that discussion to the next level. Because most of the audience who listened to the last podcast requested us to discuss some of the common misconceptions that people have about Islamic finance. And, you know, there are many misconceptions that people have. Last time, we had talked about one such misconception, which is whether Islamic finance is truly meant for Muslims only. And we saw that it's not. You actually gave us the example of Malaysia, where a large number of customers who do not process the Islamic faith use the Islamic banking products. Is that correct? Correct. Absolutely. Well, I'm sure you know that there are so many misconceptions about Islamic finance. Have you encountered this in your experience in the field? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of uh, misconceptions. I mean, you can uh, definitely, I mean, take the misconceptions from a level of uh, Islamic finance. I mean, uh, is it for Muslims? I mean, it is, uh, I mean, from that extent, is it for Muslims? Is it uh, terrorism financing? Is it uh, a replica of conventional banking? Mm-hmm. Uh, Islamic banking is a primitive way of uh, doing. Uh, it lacks standardization. It lacks. Ha- uh, I mean, it is a welfare financing. I've had that as well. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's also uh, one thing I've had. There was uh, one of the misconceptions I've had was uh, driven purely by oil boom countries. I mean, to be honest, uh, there's a uh, there's a lot of misconceptions. Mm-hmm. But uh, it is the role and duty of uh, us professionals in the field of Islamic finance to demystify this. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I agree with you. And, you know, we we can definitely agree that most of these misconceptions come about because people have not taken the time 
to consciously educate themselves about the subjects and so fall victim to most of the things that perhaps are not true. And so we'll dive right into it. I'll, I've, I've gathered some of the thoughts of our audience on what misconceptions or what are some of the things that uh, they have not really understood about Islamic finance. They want us to debunk. Okay? And so I'll begin with my first question. So let me get into it. So one very common misconception regarding is regarding the whole issue of interest. As we discussed yeah. previously, money in Islamic finance does not earn interest by simply just, you know, sitting around. In short, the time value of money is not monetized. Uh, in conventional banking, we know that if you take your money in a bank and store it, particularly in a savings account, the bank will give you an interest rate on your deposit. So your money will be earning some interest, and this interest rate is called the deposit rate. So, you know, in a way, people might have the opinion that, you know, money is an asset, and holding money now means that you're delaying your consumption now. So some people wonder, you know, why does Islam forbid interest when money is just another commodity? Um, thank you, uh, Prince. I think it's a very good question. And um, to answer your question, I mean, in two ways. Eh? First, now, interest is forbidden um, as per the Quran and as per the prophetic teachings. This is a simple uh, answer to give, to justify most Muslims and uh, Islamic scholars, I mean, will not know the rationale uh, behind the interest being forbidden. Now, I don't want to say most scholars, but most Islamic bankers. Mm -hmm. uh, I would like to rephrase that. Now, unlike an actual commodity like gold, yeah, Mm -hmm. Which has a traditionally, which has been traditionally been stand, a standard measure of currency from long, long time before. Yes. Now, money has no intrinsic. Now, in Islam, money does not have an intrinsic value. Now, what we believe is, is money derives its value from something else other than itself, namely the market demand. Okay. Are we together? We are very together. So, interest actually creates nothing. By creating money from nothing, mm -hmm. we bloat economies with assetless. Uh, with assetless, uh, serviceless piece of paper. So the piece of paper is not backed by any assets or by any service. And we all know what happens when the supply of anything, even money, exceeds, uh, exceeds uh, its demand. Now, price there you'll price. find price drops. Yeah, absolutely. Now, when the price of money drops, we get what? We get inflation. Mm -hmm. So the money in your pocket becomes actually worthless today than it was yesterday. However simplified this description is, it, it accurately illustrates the macroeconomic debilitation of interest. Okay, okay. Thank you for that. So basically, I, I am gathering that in, in Islamic finance, money cannot derive value in its, its own or from itself. It has to derive value from something other than itself. And particularly, as you rightly mentioned, market demand. However simplified this description is, mm -hmm. I mean, what we can say, it's I mean, it accurately illustrates the macroeconomic uh, debilitation of interest. Now, one needs to realize because interest serves the interest of capital owners like banks, governments, uh, developing agencies, corporations and wealthy individuals. So mm -hmm. interest is unlikely to go away. So. What we need to look at is the treatment of money as a commodity is partly responsible for the world poverty. I mean, by forcing poor countries to allocate increasing amounts of their capital yeah, and their resources away from the social services, yeah, like healthcare and education towards mm -hmm. debt servicing. So you find a lot of this 
uh, a lot of these countries have actually shied away because of the interest, uh, compounding interest. And what happens next is increased market volatility by widening the gap between the supply of money and the creation of real tangible assets. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's, yeah. So basically the, the, the idea of fiat is, 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 uh, that, that is very common in conventional banking where money is just simply backed by the belief in its fundamental value is is in islamic finance the fundamental value has to come from another another element that is not money in its own self perhaps backed by a physical asset or that that's what you mean correct okay. absolutely i mean maybe a question maybe a question that we can pose to the audience mm-hmm. is um it's how we how we could i mean how we we could i mean imagine a world without interest yeah, we might, we might, yeah, we might instead beginning asking how should we be expected to live in a world with interest? Hence, I mean, I believe, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so now, can you, our audience definitely will be intrigued by that one, and please let us know your your thoughts on that idea in the comment section. Get in touch with us. Definitely, let's a world without interest. That 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 would that would really spark a good conversation. True. Thank you. So, thank you for handling that one. I think that myth is now debunked, and people can understand that element of Islamic finance. Now, there's another one that people had really asked us to talk about, which was basically the issue of uh, investing in financial securities, particularly shares. So, we know that in Islam, uh, there is no gambling. Islam does not allow gambling. and what is gambling? Basically trying to take a bet on something uh, and hoping to make returns on the same at a later time uh, in the future. And so some people wonder, you know, investing in shares or other financial assets is almost like taking a bet because I invest some money there. I put some money. I am hoping that the market conditions will allow my assets to appreciate in value. And then at a later time, I can cash out by selling and perhaps making a profit on, on the investment that I had. So most people wonder, Mr. Ali, how come Islam forbids gambling, uh, but it permits uh, buying shares and other securities for that matter? Uh, excellent question. I mean, uh, of course, this returns to the basic principle of assets and service backing. Eh? Mm-hmm. So... As you know, um, stocks invest in real assets. So you're talking about a company's property, plant, equity, I mean, equipment, Mm -hmm. and actual services that a company provides, like a company management services, expertise. eh? But this is part of the IP rights as well. Mm -hmm. Well, if you look at, uh, if you look on the other side is gambling, invest in nothing. So Mm -hmm. even if a lottery funds charity or finance public works, the money with which, I mean, it does, it's still considered in Islam non-permissible or in another word, haram. Mm-hmm. Now, stocks provide, I mean, when you're buying stock or shares, they provide a risk, uh, risk-based risk return based on publicly available information. Gambling, on the other side, provides only uncertainty and the distant, I mean, prospect of a huge gain based on entirely chance, on a chance. So, um, I hope uh, I've clarified myself the dip, this is the difference between buying stocks and doing i mean gambling so yes i think that's 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 very clear where you've mentioned that basically it comes down to 
the fundamental value or the assets backing up the commodity that is being traded. So with, with shares and other, and most financial security, there is that, you know, uh, backing up, uh, there's that element backing up the asset. For example, in shares, it's the fundamental value of the company, its property and so on. Correct. Correct. To the, to the casual, uh, to the casual Owino, Abdallah or Kamau. Yes. You know, buying low and selling high resembles gambling. Mm-hmm. Because they're not sophisticated to deep, deep down into their financials, into the publicly available informations uh, of the company. But because there's no Islamic stipulation on the price at which something is sold, you know, and the duration for which it's held, the, pri- the primary concern here relates to what is actually bought and sold. Now, provided that the main business of the company is permissible, here we spoke about, and I'll elaborate uh, if you give me a chance uh, more on what, what, which companies are permissible. Okay. Now, the company owns some illiquid assets, and the investor removes the proportion of its profit that corresponds to the company interest earning, then purchasing that stock is permissible. Are we together? Yes, we are very much together on that. Okay. Now, as you know, there are certain companies that are impermissible. Now, you're talking about all interest-based institutions. So you're talking about banks, the uh, conventional bank, conventional insurance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're talking about uh, companies that uh, do um, alcohol, uh, tobacco, uh, entertainment. Um, you're talking about companies that do, um, uh, to a certain extent, um, I've mentioned alcohol, tobacco, interest-bearing institutions, all that that is non-permissible. So we consider this as the industry screening. But also, you know, you need to, there's an industry screening of the company that is listed, and also there's a uh, financial screening. Now, if you look at the financial screening, there's ratios. Now, there's a reason why people invest in a company. So I'm not going to invest in a company where the, the debt to market cap or the debt to asset is so high. So that's why there's a threshold. And uh, it, now Islamic finance institution came up, came together through an institute called AOFI, which is the accounting and auditing uh, organization of Islamic financial institution, which is uh, which headquartered in Bahrain. Okay. So all major Islamic countries that have agreed they'll have a financial screening threshold. Okay. Awesome. And what did, you, and what did you mention? Through. What did Sorry. you say was the name of this organization? Just clarify that again. It, it's called the it's called the IOFI. It's called the IOFI, which is A A O I F I, mm-hmm. which is which stands for Accounting and Auditing Organization of Islamic Financial Institution. Okay. Headquartered in Bahrain. Okay. Now they came up yeah, sorry. Go on, uh, Prince. Well, um, I, 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 I have, you, have you have you finished on that? Uh, we can move on to the final misconception of the day that we need to tackle. You finish the point. Only finish if you have not. Finished yeah. I, I wanted. I wanted. Uh, I wanted to highlight. I've talked about the industry that we, industries that Muslims are not allowed to invest in on the stock okay. market. Mm-hmm. So I haven't. Uh, I wanted to touch on the financials, uh, the financial threshold. Now, if you look at the, now, of course, uh, IOFI has set up a standard of thresholds, uh, which is none. The non-permissible income of a total income should be less than five percent. So let's say you're talking about um, Naivas. 
Now, can, if neighbors was listed, now if you if if you look at their total income over, uh, if you look at their non-permissible income, what would be the non-permissible income? It will be the pork that is sold, income from pork, income from alcohol, income from tobacco. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that will be considered as a non-permissible income. That okay. income over the total income of neighbors mm-hmm. should be less than five percent. Okay. Okay. I, so I see. again. So you, you, you get the threshold. So what if uh, Naivas actually complied with that threshold? That doesn't mean it stops there. So as a Muslim investor, for me, it's to be able to dilute that non-permissible income to actually 0%. But what I've done there, it doesn't, it has not uh, restricted me in investing in Naivas. I can still continue in investing in Naivas, buy a majority stake, get a voting rights, change the strategy of the company. So you know what? Islamic finance does not forbid investing in non-permissible um, uh, companies unless there's a strategy and a plan and a business model to transform that to make it uh, permissible. Are we together? Yes, yes, we are very much together. And I think that's something that is new. Well, for me, for example, mm-hmm. I, I am definitely learning that, you know, just because some of these financial institutions or even non-financial institutions might not be permissible in the Islamic faith does not necessarily mean that a person who follows the Islamic uh, finance model cannot invest. You mentioned that as long as the minimum threshold is not passed, then it's an it's an it's a green light for that. Yes, yes. that is one of the that is one of the I mean key uh, thresholds as well. But there's also two more thresholds, which mm-hmm. is the debt to market cap. Mm-hmm. Now, if the company is listed, you you take the market capitalization, and if the company is not listed. Uh, it's a private uh, business or family business. You take up the assets. So you look at the debt to market cap or debt to asset should be less than 30%. So you don't want to end up in a scenario where you're bailing out a company or you're just bailing out conventional loans. Mm-hmm. So we're together there. Yeah, and I think that's actually a nice precaution to have because if the debt to market capitalization is less than 30%, it's just uh, even in conventional finance, this means it's it's a it's a nice company to invest in. It has a high going concern uh, value. Correct. Absolutely. You don't want you don't want to have a company that is highly leveraged. Eh? Correct. So another another threshold. Yeah, sorry. Another threshold is the cash and cash equivalent over the market cap should be less than thirty percent. Could you expand yeah. on that? So okay, the cash and cash equivalent of mm-hmm. uh, of of the company should be less than thirty percent. Okay. Now, what I'm saying is, now, why would, uh, if I'm investing in a company that has a lot of cash in the bank, mm-hmm. why would I invest in them and why are they not doing anything with the idle cash sitting in the bank? So, you get the point. Uh, so, yes, I'll I also make sure, so, yeah, so some banks here, uh, some companies, some listed entities have a lot of cash. So, sometimes... Why would you need additional shareholders or new money while you have the money sitting in your bank account or in your accounts doing nothing? So okay. my, that's why it's restricted to 30%. Okay, now I, now I understand uh, the rationale behind having a low low cash and cash equivalent value. Interesting points raised by Mr. Ali. Thank you for that. Now, perhaps I can move on to the final misconception, which I wanted mm-hmm. you to expound on today. Many people... Uh, who are not familiar with Islamic finance and Islamic banking and related institutions, sometimes wonder, you know, is Islamic 
finance in any way related to terrorism finance regarding the issue of terrorism. And this has saved its way even into Islamic finance. So could you expound on this and uh, perhaps you know shed some more light on that? Now, I, I, I would like to start, I mean, I would like to start by making a quote, huh? Mm-hmm. I mean, which is totally whether uh, I mean terrorism, whether it's Muslim related or any other related. I mean, terrorism and violence branded upon whatever political or religious or any communal course or any agenda. At the end of the day, still inflicts harm against the life and well-being of innocent people, mm-hmm. innocent victims, Muslims and non-Muslims alike. So Islamic finance has nothing categorically to do with this terrorism financing. Absolutely. Thank you for pointing that out because, you know, it's it's definitely something that hurts the industry, both uh, people who adhere to the faith, people who do not. And as you say, it even feeds into the political discussions, the economic discussions, definitely. People should educate themselves and see things for what they really are. Like some of the things that we are discussing today, some of these thresholds, these are the conversations that people should underpin their debates on. I agree with you, um, Prince. And also another thing to consider is Islam actually considers illegal use of violence, especially against innocent victims, as a heinous crime and hence categorically condemned uh, by every Muslim nation, every good, I mean, every Muslim condemns, I mean, a good Muslim who have understood the Quran and the principle of Sharia, the prophetic teachings, everything, will know that as a matter of principle, an Islamic financial institution is strictly prohibited by Sharia, by Quran, by law, from knowing, assisting, whatever, whatever, or participating in any terror-related activities. Now, it's unfortunate, Prince, mm-hmm. since 19, uh, since September 11, international, it has escalated to another level, you know? Sorry, I mean, could you please repeat that? Fear. Kindly, could you please repeat since September 11? Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, since uh, September 11, eh, we've seen uh, international politics. I mean, uh, there, there's, there has been a lot of uh, prejudice and animosity against Islam. Yes, that's So correct. we've seen new, I mean, it has escalated to new heights. So what, I mean, well, the complex and the opaque nature of the international finance may expose even Islamic finance institution to become a tool for those with criminal intent. It is safe to say that so far, notwithstanding all the conspiracy theory that we've talked about and long-winded connection raised to the links between Islamic finance with terrorism, there's hardly no evidence sufficiently produced to justify these allegations. As we speak today, 2020, there has never been a link. So Islamic finance, it's a genuine legit business. This that has been regulated and have gone proper, they've gone through proper regulations and supervised in many jurisdictions simply as a business that offers Sharia compliant financial products and alternative and ethical way of financing to existing financial products in different markets. So, I mean, irrational phobia against Islam in general and Islamic finance is particularly continuing, I mean, after the September 11, which was not fair. It wasn't fair to link terrorism to Islamic finance. Okay, okay. Well, there you have it, folks. You We've definitely had it from the horse's mouth and we are very thankful mr ali we'll we'll close it at that i think we are, we've covered some of the most common misconceptions and if our audience has any more questions that they want us to delve further into kindly get in touch with us perhaps mr ali you can share with them how they can uh you can share how they can find you on twitter Yes, uh, Prince, I forgot. Can I just make the last statement about terrorism financing? Yes, Um, please do. I mean, the reality is Islamic financial institutions, just like any other financial institutions in any 
uh, in many jurisdictions are subject to a bound of strict laws and regulation, including what? Including anti-money laundry and anti-terrorism. So, guys, Islamic finance has nothing to do with terrorism financing, you know? Yeah. Thank you. And how you can reach me? Uh, you can reach me on ABM officially. That's my Twitter handle. ABM officially, all one word. Thank you. Yeah, very, 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 very good. Kindly, please get in touch with us. As you can see, guys, we are discussing, we are getting right into the most controversial topics and we are tackling them boldly. And perhaps you can also share with us what you have in, in store for us in the next episode. Now, in the next episode, we'll talk about, uh, of course, uh, the challenges of Islamic banks in Kenya. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll talk about the legal challenges, the regulatory challenges, uh, and also we'll dig, uh, we'll go into uh, Islamic insurance, which is known as takaful. We'll mm-hmm. look at the structures under the takaful. We'll also look at the Islamic banking in details in terms of products. We'll look at the partnership products, the cost markup. Uh, I can mention uh, the Islamic names, but nobody will, no many people will know the Mudaraba, the Musharaka. So we will actually uh, talk uh, about them and also we'll compare that to the conventional part of it. Now, let's say example is we'll compare what operate, what finance lease is and what uh, the counterpart in Islamic finance is, is. So in a nutshell. Okay, well, awesome. I think we are in for, for a nice treat just as we have seen in this episode. Every new episode gets, you know, sweeter and uh, more insightful. So I was from the Kenyan Wall Street is just to really, really thank you. Uh, Mr. Ali Mohammed, for your time and for, for doing this with us. We are very, very happy to have you. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Prince. And uh, on behalf of your team, the Kenya Wall Street, I want to thank you for giving me the platform to enlighten and uh, talk about Islamic finance. Awesome. Most, most welcome. And even in future episodes, we look forward to hosting, you know, more, 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 more people with uh, experience in the field so that we can have you. We have some CEOs in Islamic banks and other related institutions just to make the conversation more insightful. And so with that, we have to call it uh, a close for today. Kindly get in touch with, with us at Kenyan Wall Street on Twitter. You can get in touch with me at Prince underscore Muraguri on Twitter. And as Ali mentioned, you can get in touch with him at ABM officially. So with that, thank you very much. Stay tuned for the next podcast. Get in touch with us on our social media and stay safe. Goodbye.